Hello again, and happy Friday to you. This is another bonus episode of the Friend of God podcast. The messages here are still from Friendship Baptist Church in Sturgis, Mississippi, but they are from evening and special services throughout the year. You will hear mostly from Pastor Jeremy, but from time to time you'll hear from other staff members as well as guests. We hope that you enjoy and learn from the teaching of Dr. Tim Bray and that this message ultimately makes you and me more like Christ. Without any further delay, let's jump right into Friendship's second revival message from 2020. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning. Ah, Good evening, everybody. Good to see you tonight. Uh, Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Philippians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be tonight. Philippians chapter 1. And as we're getting there tonight, I want to just mention a couple of things. Because I've been thinking a lot, even prior to getting on the road and coming all the way from East Tennessee to gather together with my church family here. And it's interesting when you say, listen, I'm going to go and be a part of and help lead and help serve in a revival, you get all kinds of responses from people. And the most interesting one I get usually is they say, you know, I hope there are lots of people who get saved. And I always say, amen. Every time the church is gathered together, that is all of our hope and prayer, if you're in Christ, right? And certainly, all, out, all throughout the book of Acts, we see that the church is either gathered together or scattered. One of the other. They're either coming together, and when they come together, they come in basically two ways. They come in the large group gathering for praise and worship and for uh, apostles' teaching and doctrine and all those things. And and then they get together in smaller groups, whether it's in in our context, in a a room off with the church or in a home, and and they begin to share what God's been doing in their lives. And they begin to talk about all the people that they have been able to share the gospel with throughout the week. And so it's always interesting to me when you talk about reviving, we're not necessarily talking about those who have never had a relationship with Christ. God is going to save people because that is what he does. But it's the church that needs to be revived. And a revived church is a church that is full of revived people, right? And we've already talked about last night about the two main things, and preachers always say this, right? Keep the main thing the main thing. And football coaches, by the way, right? Every year is a building year, right? You guys are getting ready for that too. But it's that whole idea, let's do the fundamentals, right? We're going to focus on the main thing. And Jesus was clear, and we see this as a compilation of all four Gospels, and we see it all throughout the epistles. And that is that we are, as a church, we are to be focusing on the great commandment, which we've said already. It's what, church? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what? To love your neighbors yourself. We saw a brilliant way last night from Scripture how not to do that. Right? 
and we ask the question, where do I see myself? I come, I gather together. What is my motives? What are my agendas? What is, what is my expectation, right? But then we also know the very last command that Jesus Christ gives on earth should be given our first importance. And Jesus tells us about the Great Commission. He says, all authority has been handed over to me. Go, therefore, and do what, church? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and lo, or yes, I am with you, even to the end of the age. So we don't have to wait to Christmas to celebrate the fact that God himself is Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, literally tabernacled among us. And now, as he promised in John 13, to the disciples, listen, I know this is tough, but I'm going to have to leave. But it's better that I go away, because if I don't go away, then the comfort will not come, and he has been with you, but now he is going to be in you. And so if a church is a true church, not a country club, not a family gathering, but a church, we are focused on those two things, right? Love God, love people, and therefore all of us are missionaries for God. And many of us are everything from plumbers to receptionists to CEOs to whatever, right? But every one of us has have this same calling. But then life happens. Think about the lady last night who was standing behind Christ and is worshiping Him, and God uses her life. I had so many of you last night come up to me and share your heart. It was amazing talking about, listen, I so saw myself in that. That was talking about me, and I'm like, me too. Every one of us would be one of those type folks, right? So why is it if we know what we ought to do, and as as the Apostle James even said, to know the right thing to do and not to do it, to him it is sin. So why is it that the church, which Jesus said the gates of Hades will not come against, right, will not tear down, why is it that we sometimes are so ineffective? And I believe it's the very thing that Jesus talks about in Revelation with one of the churches that there's a love issue. There's a joy issue, a joy that comes. I mean, listening to Garrett, I mean, how do you follow that, by the way? I'm sitting there going, oh, man, right? This brother's up here with all this joy in his heart for Jesus, which just comes out of him, and how the Lord brought Bailey in your life and, and shared the gospel. And just so happens, I mean... God brought Chris in my life. He's not near as pretty, and, you know, obviously he's a brother in Christ. But it's amazing how God brought you to Christ and together, and then we get to all celebrate that. And that's a lot of joy in that, right? And then, But there, listen, there are some folk, not in here, of course, right? We all know them, though, that will come to you and say sarcastic things about marriage and say, oh, give it time, and all that will wear off, and other ridiculous things that are oddly true, um, because it will. 
And uh, because love is more than a feeling, as we know, and of course you just had 17 song lyrics go through your mind, right? But it's like this whole idea that joy is very different than happy. Because everybody says, man, I want to be happy, but happy is directly related to the happenings in our life. So the reason I believe that we become so ineffective in these things is that we need to be reminded. You know, that's what revival is, right? I mean, he's reviving us. We're being reminded. We're being motivated. It's like we need this fresh perspective. And I'm going to submit to you today, brothers and sisters, that whatever our strongest motivation is, it is driven by our deepest joy. So in other words, whatever is our deepest joy, that is going to be our main focus and our main motivation. And so you can, don't have to know someone really well. Let me hang out with you for a few hours. Let me hey, let you come and walk with me and hang out with me for a week. And you can tell everybody what my joy is in. Think about it for a moment. How many of you in here, ladies, are sitting next to someone who it's a miracle they're still alive. Come on. The things that we do, right, guys? You know the four words being up in East Tennessee, the four last words of a hillbilly, right? Hey, y'all, watch this, you know? So there's all kinds of things that we will do to bring about this joy in our life. I'll give you one example. She's not here and she can't do anything about it. My youngest, who just made 18, is going to be graduating from high school. And I don't know, I, I just think, you know, as a dad, you want to bring joy in your kids' lives, and so you sacrifice and you do things. And so when we first went to East Tennessee years ago, there was this place called Dollywood. And who doesn't like Dolly, right? So this place is full of a bunch of senior adults who are having the time of their life, right? It's amazing. Best food great shows, you're walking around, and guess what, guys? Up around the corner on the big hill, roller coasters. I mean, hello. I'm thinking, man, I get to just give this to my children. And I remember we went up to this one called the Blazing Fury. Well, I'm stoked when I hear this, so I'm so excited, right? She's, yeah, I know. She's at work, but she'll see it later. Great. Sorry, Sarah Kate, but you know it's true. So, so here we are, and I'm so excited, and my my wife is, starts to go into mommy mode and she's, she's motivating Sarah and I swoop in, right, being the great coach, the dad. Sarah ain't having it. You know what I'm saying? You know how it is, folks. You know, you try everything. Well, finally we go up through the seven mile line long line and we get to the front and there is Betty, I think is what her name was. Betty was about 140. Amazing lady. She's standing there having the time of her life and she could tell Sarah's losing her mind, right? Right? So I said, Betty, look here, tell baby girl here how much fun and how much joy, literally, how much excitement she's about to experience. And Betty, I mean, she just sort of went into that mode. And Betty looked at her and says, well, honey, what are you worried about? And she says, well, is it dark? And Betty says, no. I thought, it's pretty dark in here, but yeah, okay. And then she says, well, does, you know, is, or is there fire? And Miss Betty, without missing a beat, says, oh, honey, there's no fire. And I'm going, it's in the name. Like, what is happening right now, right? And then 
to make matters worse, Sarah says, so does it go fast? And y'all, God help me, about that time, the little cars came up and just rolled right in. And Betty had the audacity to look at the Bray family and say, this is as fast as it goes. And I'm thinking, I paid money for this? Are you serious? I'm like, you know what, baby? Yeah, you're right. We shouldn't ride this. She said, no, it's okay. I'm going to do it. Well, we get on the ride. So I'm like, okay. Guess what? It's dark. It's dark the entire time, except when all the flames come flying at you from all these like old weird things like held on by duct tape. And we're going around and Sarah's losing it. And me being the great spiritual leader, I'm sitting beside her. Emily's up front with the other child who is eerily quiet. Well, as we go along, as we go along, it's getting worse and the whimpering and the, and the scared. And I'm just like, babe, this is cool. It's okay. It's no big deal. And then all of a sudden I said, at least it's not fast. And then all of a sudden I felt this draft, you know what I mean? And it was just like I looked up and there was this big sign that says, danger, bridge out. And the only thing I got out, Jeremy, was, oh no. And then all of a sudden, whoosh, there we go. I am laughing, hands raised. My wife is crying. Oh, my baby, because she's back there screaming for Jesus to come back. The other child is empathetically crying. And so we get to the end of this thing, and it is turned into the opposite of joy. This is the opposite effect that I worked so hard for us to experience. And I kid you not, as if matters could not have gotten worse, we get to the end. There's all these people waiting in line. And my little six-year-old leaps up on the chair, on the seat, looks at the entire crowd and screams, run for your life. She's a liar. She's a liar. Right? And I'm like, oh, and I'm crying out to Jesus, you know, Lord, this will be a great time for you to come back. You know, I just, and we try so hard. We do everything in our power to manufacture happiness and joy. And just sometimes let's be honest, especially parents, you're just trying to get through it. All right. I mean, just for the glory of God. And when we look at our text today. We're looking at a guy who is sitting in prison, writing this letter, and the entire letter is all about joy. Now think about that for a moment, because I just described to you, even still, pretty funny, right? But he is writing from a horrible situation. He's written about joy from a heart filled with absolute joy in Christ, and it's from someone who is in the most unjoyous situation ever. And he's also having to deal with, God forbid, some very unjoyful people. How many of you know somebody who's kin to somebody, who works with somebody that has to deal with unhappy people, right? Or people who make you, in fact, unhappy. So think about it for a moment. The whole theme of this entire letter, written from a convict from in prison, the, the word joy is referenced actually 14 times. 14 times. And short, what we would say, four chapters. 
As a matter of fact, the name Jesus Christ occurs 51 times in this short little letter. In the 104 verses in this small, short letter. And the whole idea of joy, joy is one of those things where it just doesn't sit by itself. It begs for an antecedent. It begs for something to be connected to it. You're never just joyful, right? You're never just happy. You've got some reason or there's joy, but it's always connected to something. But what we see in the Bible is there seems to be this holy correlation between the person of Jesus Christ and the joy in our lives. It's the one constant that we have. But here's the deal, church. We're just going to get real tonight. This may make some of y'all nervous. It's okay. I'm leaving in like a day or so, right? And you get Pastor Jeremy back and everything will be better. Amen? But just think about it. In our fallen world, there are typically two things that either bring joy or take away joy. You follow me? Two things that typically either bring us joy or it robs us of the joy that we consider in our life. Anybody want to take a stab at it? Two things. Grandkids, right? They bring a lot of joy. Bring a lot of joy when they come. Bring a lot of joy when they go. Amen, right? There's two things. The first one is circumstances in our lives. Let's be honest. I know y'all are all super spiritual, but you know somebody this sermon can help other than me. Is that we have things happen in our life where you can go from one minute where you're shouting and happy and about to blow the roof off the church and the next minute you won't even answer the phone. So we have the circumstances in our life. But we also have, praise the Lord, the people in our lives. Does that make sense? Does that pretty much cover it? There are two things in life that either bring us joy, typically, or we allow them to rob us of that joy. But here's the thing for me, when all these antidotes living in America, things like if life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I deal with it, then maybe, beloved, tonight, people and circumstances do not have to dictate my joy. Think about it for a moment. This is going to get, I'm telling you. If there's not at least one other person joining me in the altar tonight, then I'm in the wrong spot. Amen? Because every single one of us deal with some issues that are happening in our life that we don't have answers for, and they're literally wrecking us. We have people in our life who brought so much joy, and then they're no longer there. What do we do with that? There are people who have come into our lives who have done things to bring about joy, and there are people who have come into our lives who have literally seemed to wreck our entire lives. Think about it for a moment. The whole message today is simply this. It's about motivation. It's about revival. It's about you and I getting a revived perspective on joy in Christ. 
Because without that, I'll be honest with you, we're just sitting around singing songs, waiting to hurry up and get to heaven. When Jesus has deliberately left you here to carry on his mission. So basically two points tonight, rather simple. And the first one is this, my joy in Christ dictates how I view my circumstances. That's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? You can say that however you want to. My joy in Jesus actually sets the way that I look at my life, the things that are happening in it. Look at verse 12 in Philippians chapter 1. Paul has just spent 11 verses just loving on these folks. Straight up love letter, beautiful. And then all of a sudden in verse 12, he says another phrase that's shocking, very similar to last night. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Isn't that amazing? Why is he having to tell the church? Why is he having to send back? Their pastor is in prison. They've sent Epaphroditus to come and to check on him because he's been very sick and they brought him all these supplies. They're worried about him. And here's Paul saying like, man, our joy in Christ, I mean, it literally, we view everything through this gospel lens. Some of us need a big old rag to wipe them glasses off, right? We have gotten so clouded. When Paul says, now I want you to know, it's one of those phrases that says, I need to explain something. I need to correct the way that we've been sort of thinking. In other words, Paul says, humanly, our natural response is to wig out. Do y'all say that in Mississippi? What do y'all say here? Flip out, lose it, you know? It's our natural response, right? In other words, what we know about the problem was Paul's circumstances. And it had, when you care about somebody and you see them going through difficult time, it, it does something to you, right? I mean, these are Christian family members in Philippi. He says, brethren or brothers and sisters. This is family. And we know the whole purpose in them sinning, but by all accounts, Paul's life situation, quite honestly, should be considered really bad. So nobody's trying to pretend like evil and pain and suffering don't exist. Paul certainly isn't. But for some reason, Paul has this issue where he doesn't act right when he goes to prison. One time he's in there singing with his buddy and then all this chaos breaks loose, right? Now he's in here and he's pointing to the fact that he's in prison and what's happened in his life, which is not fair, it's not right, it wasn't his fault. But see, his testimony is opposite. How many of you have ever heard someone or you have said to someone, I don't know how they do it? I have no idea how you're functioning right now. I don't understand. And what we mean by that is that we, we see this incredible fortitude in this, this person walking through difficult times, right? He says, I want you to know this, brothers. Look what he says. My circumstances have turned out, that's past tense, for the greater progress of the gospel. So in other words, for a Christian, the lens by which you and I view the world and our life with are those lens of the gospel such that a Christian views their circumstances on how God can use it for his glory. 
That didn't mean like even Job. We talked about that at Sunday school here, where even Job had times where he was complaining and whining. And even John the Baptist had to send some guys to his cousin and go, hey, are you really the Messiah? This guy's in prison about to lose his head. All of us get in those situations. We have those times. But ultimately, and that's what the church is to do, is to motivate, encourage, not cause the problem, but to assist in the issues that come into our life. Jesus warned the same thing to his disciples, told them the same thing in Luke 21, 12 through 13. He says, but before all these things happen to you, he says, they will lay their hands on you. And they will persecute you. And they will deliver you to the synagogues and prisons. They will bring you before kings and governors. Watch this. For my name's sake. And without a but or an and or a however, Jesus says it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. Isn't that incredible? I mean, it's like your life, this difficulty. Jesus promises that in this life you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. That is why the apostle said, he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Think about it. What is our mission, church? How do I view my circumstances when things happen and come against us? Do they bring me joy? Do they rob me of joy? Is it based, is my life and my joy and my connection to God, is it really based on the things that happen to me every single day? Am I really that much of a human puppet? It's crazy. And for Paul, man... He's dealing with it. But you know what he says, church? He says, look, you got to understand the greater progress of the gospel. What does that mean? He goes on and tells us in verse 13. Look at what he says. So that, or the purpose cause, my imprisonment is in the cause of these punks that did the wrong thing and messed me over. Is that what your version says? That's what my version probably would have said. He says, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known through the whole Praetorian Guard. In other words, Paul is saying, yeah, 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 this is bad. Kudos. I'm with you. I'm the one in the middle of it. Let me tell you something, though. Listen to what's happened. How is he trying to bring joy to the church back home? They're burdened and upset and frustrated. And he's like, yeah, I know. But guess what? That literally what happens in our lives, it actually impacts those outside the church. He says, I am right here, right in the middle of prison. And it's because of me being in the cause of Christ. I could have been a sellout. I could have been a punk and just kept my Christianity to myself. That's not what Christians do. And now he's being punished for it. But notice Paul didn't play the victim at all. He points to Jesus as the victor, and he says, you know what the win is? The win is that these guards, now every single one of them have had to listen to the gospel. Crazy. I mean, think about it. Where are they going to go? The whole Praetorian Guard, they had to swap in and out, and they were chained to them, right, Jeremy? They were chained to their legs. So you're there, you're working 12 shift, uh, not shift, 12 hours. Oh, it's terrible. Done it. 
And you're there, and you got nowhere to go, and you look over, and there's just crazy preachers sitting there, just chained to you. I don't know how much they paid them. wasn't enough. You know what I'm saying? Paul's just, hmm, let me tell you, right? Sharing with them. Same thing happened to me when I was the police chaplain, traveling, working with the police department for five years. We go on a domestic violence scene. Those are always really tough. So anyway, had to arrest the guy, had him in the back seat. This guy's losing his mind, never did anything wrong, upset, of course, right? And I'm sitting in there. He said, hey, watch him. I got to go in and take care of the rest of it. So I'm sitting out there. Doors are locked. Vehicle's running. It's two degrees outside. He ain't going nowhere. So he's belly aching and whining like we all do. And I told him, I said, hey, bro, I understand where you're coming from. I said, uh, I've been right back there where you are. I said, as a matter of fact, I got a good friend. He was arrested too. He said, yeah. I said, yeah. He didn't do nothing. I said, matter of fact, the law enforcement officers, they beat him bad. He said, no. I said, no, I'm serious. Beat him bad. As a matter of fact, they not only beat him bad, they dragged him. He was bleeding everywhere. Never did anything wrong. He's like, you got to be kidding me. I said, no, I'm not kidding you. I said, I'll tell you right now, his name's Jesus. And he hung on the cross for your sin and my sin. And Jesus loves you, brother. And I start preaching at him. And this guy's screaming for the other officer, get me out of here. Take me to jail. This guy's crazy, right? I mean, you got a captive audience. Now, you may not have that situation. I kind of felt sorry for the guy, right? But I'm like, hey, you're not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Perfect timing. This happens to you in your life all the time. That your life, the gospel, the folks that are be getting saved, those are the friends and the family members and the relationships and the co-workers that you have. God has literally placed each and every one of us into these places all over that no one else can go to, to share the truth of the gospel. So it impacts outsiders, but it also impacts insiders. Look at this. Verse 14, and most, not all, because there's always a few, a few of yuns. That's what they say in Tennessee. There's a few of yuns that's just cray cray, right? And most of the brothers trusting in the Lord, watch this, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment. They have far more courage to speak the word of God. Did you catch that? Because of, not in spite of, not regardless of, not but, but because of. In other words, I'm being persecuted, Paul says, and it's actually given this incredible wave of courage and perspective and encouragement to many of the believers to go out and to share their faith. How do you explain that? It's like, okay, so pastor goes out and does it, gets thrown in jail. Yeah, put me down on the list. I'll volunteer, right? We can't even get folk in churches to sign up for the nursery. You're going to let me sign up for prison ministry? Come on, right? But something happens when we get serious about it. These insiders, man, the folks that are in the church, they're trusting in the Lord. I mean, I've always been told, Tim, bloom where you're planted. It's always, the grass is always greener on the other side. Guess what, chief? It still has to be mowed. So if marriage isn't kicking it for you right now in your marriage, get over it. You're probably part of the problem, if not the problem, right? 
I'm used to that, right? We all have issues. We all have problems. It's not greener on the other side. You're still going to have to be the person that Christ has called you to be, right? But there are things that happen in our life, situations that are real and are raw. And we've got to be honest with them, honest like the Word of God is with them, and be a church. A church is not a country club. It's more like a hospital, man, for wounded. We come in here being out in the world. We need each other. We need to lift each other up and be there and pray and stand in the gap. We'll talk a whole lot more about that tomorrow night. But here's what I know, and I believe you know it too. God has a way of taking our mess and using it for His message. Giving us a message out of the mess that we've made through the transforming power of the gospel. It's not anything good we've done. It's about Him, right? So my joy in Christ dictates how I view my circumstances. And I saved the worst for last, and we're going to close with this one. Because this is the one that is probably only for me, Jeremy. I doubt anybody in here has to deal with this. But go ahead and pay attention, because somebody this week will be going through it like I go through it, and you can help them, okay? Can we agree? Because we have circumstances, but we also have people. They either bring joy or they take it away. I actually saw that at somebody's grandma's house. Some of our visitors bring joy when they come and others when they leave. I was trying to figure out which one I was, right? It's true though. My joy in Christ dictates not only how I view my circumstances, but how I view people in my life. Time won't permit us, but this, but tonight and even before tomorrow, if you get a chance, go and read through some of the verses of, of verses 3 all the way down to 11 and listen to the incredible encouragement from Paul. He tells them how much he loves them. And he says, look, even in my imprisonment, you, uh, since both in my imprisonment and the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, look, we're all partakers of grace together. In other words, we're all in this together together, church. We need each other. And when you have a gospel perspective, it affects the way that we see people in the church, people outside the church and what our purpose is in the first place. Think about it. You may say, well, when you go through and you read those verses, Paul's like, oh, and this I pray your love may abound. I'm confident of this very thing, that he that began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And it is so good for me to feel this way. I long for you with the love of Jesus Christ. Boy, isn't that nice? Isn't there people in your life that you know you can call on, that you love, that's not going to stand in judgment, but going to stand, tell you the truth and love you, but stand with you and pray and help you get through it? But you may be sitting here tonight, not you, but somebody you know. What do I do about those people that's hurt me? In the church or in another church. Or in your family? What about those who disappoint me? They hurt me. They, they, they're, they're, they're not in it for the right reasons. They, they, they betrayed me. It's one of the worst things ever. Look at what Paul says again in verse 14. He says, look, most of the brethren, they're, they're on fire for Jesus. That's Timmy version. They're trusting in God and they're helping me. But guess what? 
there's also those people, they're saying the right stuff, but with the wrong motives. Look at verse 15. Some, to be sure, watch this, can you even do this? They're preaching Jesus even from envy and strife. Can folk in the church have envy and strife? And if you skip down to verse 17, because he says if you, that there are some good folk in there. He says, but there are some who proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives. Now watch this, this is huge. Thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, look, some of these dudes, they've got me locked up in here and they are out there and they are running their agenda, running their game, doing their thing. And they're doing it to deliberately mess with me. You ever feel like folk are just messing with you? Some of them are, by the way. Some of them are not. But then we also have those, and we want to be these people, that we have the right message with the right motives. Verse 15, I mean, remember, we know how he viewed them. But he says, but some are also doing it out of a goodwill. And he says in verse 16, the latter do it out of love because they know that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. And here it is in closing church. Guess what? Paul is not saying that motives don't matter. They do matter. And what's interesting is Paul is the first person to call somebody out for preaching a false gospel. He'll call you out by name. Guess what? So will I. So will any pastor worth their salt. I know Jeremy will. But see, that's not the issue. We can have all the right doctrine. We can have the right clothes. We can come to the right place and do all the right things. But if the motives aren't pure, if we're allowing our circumstances to come into our lives and we're, we're either ignoring them or being fake about them or we're allowing them to just rob us of joy or the people in our lives that we're putting all of our eggs in one basket, as Granny would say, and then that person, guess what? They are going to let you down. And I know I'm picking on the lovebirds tonight, but guess what? If you haven't already, he's going to let you down, and she's going to let you down because he doesn't know where the toothpaste goes. I guarantee you it's coming, right? And there's other things that I don't want to mention tonight, all right? We're, we're running low on time. You will talk about that later. As much as we love each other, as much as we look to our parents, as much as we love our children, as much as we care about our spouse, guess what? We're going to let you down, but Christ doesn't. Because most of the time when I find that I'm looking to myself and saying, God, work in me, move in me, allow me to sacrifice, give that love that only Christ can give, then I'm able to say what Paul did in verse 18. Verse 18 bothers me, to be honest with you. Because I want to be this way 100% of the time, Jeremy. I do. I really do. And this is my striving. Listen to what Paul says. I love this. He says, some are doing it out of selfish gain. Some are doing it out of good. In verse 18, Paul basically says, so what? So what? He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether they're doing it in pretense or they're doing it in truth, watch this, Christ is proclaimed. Jesus is glorified. People understand about who the king is. And in this, he says, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Where is this joy coming from? Chained to a floor in prison for doing the very thing that has fired some folk up and caused other people to use it against him. 
Do you think Paul's got a, a, a true reason to be the victim? Because quite honestly, he's being victimized. Does he have a reason to be angry? Absolutely. And he is. But in this, so what? Only that Jesus is preached. So what do we do? Brothers and sisters, this is just a time before we head out of here and head to the house. Because guess what? School and work is staring right at us. What if we made a decision tonight for the next few minutes that we were going to get serious about this thing, not give the devil one more inch, one more minute of our life, and whatever circumstance that's in your life, beloved, that you need to lay down to Jesus, lay it down. He says that a lot of his friends, they found strength and power, even in Paul's suffering, to trust God more. And it worked. Who is that person that has hurt you? Who is that one that's betrayed you? Who is that one that you, even though you didn't mean to, have damaged? Paul's right when he says, my joy is in Jesus because I can't even make myself happy half the time. But him working in and through me, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. So who is that one for you? What is that one thing that is holding you back? Would you please tonight join me as the people of God and just say no more, no more tonight. I'm going to get it right. Tonight, I want my joy back. Tonight, I want Christ to be on the throne of my life. And I'm not leaving here until He is. Let's pray together. Our beloved Jesus, I thank You, God, that we can preach about things that we know. And I'm sad to say that I can speak about it from both sides. But you are the one pure constant in our life. And perhaps there's one precious soul in here. Doesn't matter if they've been going to church for a hundred years. There may be one in here now that even in listening to the joy that is found in Christ, they realize, God, even right now, that they are missing salvation. They are missing that relationship with you, God. And even right now, Holy Spirit, I know that you are leaning into them in such a way, just like you did me, to just trust you and just lay our lives down and say, God, please forgive me of my sin. I know the Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of your glory, and I certainly know, just like David said, my sin is ever before me. And Jesus, I know that God sent you here and that you as God and as man, you stood in my place and died a death that you didn't deserve to pay for sin that you didn't have because there was no other way that I could be redeemed. 
Lord, please forgive me of my sin. I place my faith and my trust in you. I believe that God raised you from the dead, and I confess with my mouth now that you are Lord. You say that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Father, even now, as our pastors come forward, as we go into this time of just pouring our lives out, even making the place we are our altar before you are coming and gathering together with the church family and praying in this altar, God, just laying our lives out before you, that you would revive us, that you would take whatever we've allowed to strip us of our joy, whether it be bad situations or folks that we've allowed or that we've hurt, that you would bring about reconciliation and joy tonight. We thank you in advance for the work that you're doing. And we humbly say, Lord, as we go into this time of invitation, help us not to think about where we're going or grabbing our stuff, but God, just laying our lives before you. We humbly ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Thank you for listening to this Friday bonus episode of the Friend of God podcast. We know that your time is the most valuable commodity that you possess, and we are enormously grateful that you chose to share it with us. If you would like to know more about Friendship Baptist Church, please visit our website, friendshipsturges.com, or our Facebook page at facebook.com fbcms. Both links can be found in the show notes below. If you would leave a rating or review of our new podcast, we would be very appreciative. And if you would go as far as to share it with others, we will be eternally grateful. We pray that you have a God-filled weekend, and remember, love God, love people, and reach the world.